Productions, I'm Bob. And I'm Josh. And you're Josh. Um, how's it going? It's going good, how are you? Um, yeah, I'm doing pretty well. You sure? Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, so we kind of messed up last week's episode, apparently. Allegedly. Allegedly. Uh, if, if you were listening to last week's with the whole team and it got cut off early, you'll need to delete that audio file. And download it again. If you were watching the video, then you saw the whole thing. It was all good. Don't sweat it. Which is strange because the video was taken directly from that audio. Yeah. So it must have been some kind of uploading error. It wasn't like, ha, 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 we're gonna, we're gonna get double the downloads on this episode because we're gonna mess it up the first time. Like, <laughs> that was not a thing. Although, not a bad idea. Take a note. Yeah. Yeah. So we messed that up a little bit, but that's that's the way it is. But that was cool. I was, uh, I was, I enjoyed having everybody on and talking through everything. I hope people dug it. And if people didn't get, well, I guess if you're listening to this, you have all the freedom to listen to the other one. But if you want to see it live, mm-hmm. the four of us are going to be at Bay Area Maker Fair in May, and we're going to be doing kind of the same thing, like mm-hmm. a, a, a panel of what it's like. Working all behind the scenes here at I Like to Make Stuff. And then there's a separate panel of people working behind the scenes for all your other favorite makers. So there's a lot of cool stuff that is continually being added to that content creator stage mm-hmm. at Maker Fair. And one of the things I think will be cool about our team panel is that we'll take questions. So like, yep. you know, in the last episode we just talked and about what we talked about, but... Being able to answer, like you guys really being able to answer specific questions from people, I think will be pretty awesome. And so the, the uh, I don't know, what what's the other talk called? Does it have a title? I made a title. But that one has um, been approved, correct? Yeah. Cool. And that has me and Sean Connolly from the 3D Printing Nerd, uh, Brandon, we call him, who edits Oh, cool. Uh, making It and of uh, the Make or Break show. Sweet. He's going to be on there. And Dan, or not, is his name Dan? Dan. Cameraman Dan. Camera Dan. Camera Dan that works with David Pachuto. And maybe Anthony over there. I'm waving, but you can't see me. <laughs> He's on his new cool desk. We it's... organized this room a little bit to like. Yes. This professional. You guys did a great job. It, it looks way nicer in here. So yeah, Maker Fair is going to be fun. There you go. Yeah, it is. It always is fun. Um, so I, uh, you're working on... I'm working on the 67 Mustang. So I finished that set last oh, night. Oh, did you? Yeah, no, night before last. Congratulations. It's pretty cool. I'm digging it though, thus far. All yeah. I have is the base and a steering mechanism. Yeah, it's pretty nice. So that actually, well, you'll, you'll see. It actually explodes. It actually explodes. No, it's really cool. It's a good set. And when I started making it, I it was... It felt very similar to the Aston Martin set. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of like, ugh, more of the same structure and, you know, very similar front end and everything. But then as you go on, like the way the body panels are made, yeah. they're, they're pretty different. Hmm. And This one doesn't um, have an ejector seat or anything. I no, it doesn't gathering. have any of the gadgets, but it does have the, you can change the suspension on the back end. Oh, right. I saw that. It has like a little wheel you roll with your finger cool. and it lowers and raises the back end, which is pretty awesome. Are you much of a car guy? Uh, I mean, I like cars, but I don't know a whole lot about cars. Yeah, me neither. I know a little bit about a few cars, I guess. Put it that way. 
Hmm. You're a card generalist? <laughs> sure. Like, there's a few that I like, and those are the ones that, if I know anything about cars at all, it's just about those. But, like, if you were to say a bunch of random names of... Motor, motors. Motors. Yeah. Barrel Holly carburetors, <laughs> carburetor induction, spark coil, yep. fluxers. You got some, some blinker fluid. Yep. No, I don't know much about them, so... I like this car in particular because my mom always wanted a Mustang hmm. for like as long as I've known her. Mm-hmm. If there was ever a Mustang driving, especially an older, like a 67, she was like, ooh, I want that car. Yeah. And then when we got older, uh, we had an Aerostar, a Ford Aerostar's big, massive honking, they called it a minivan. There's nothing mini about the van. And it got in a wreck. So like we needed another car. And so it was my mom's opportunity to like get another car. She didn't get a Mustang. Hmm. I was so prepared for her to like live out that dream. But I mean, she had three kids at that point, so it really wasn't probably a good idea. But Probably. No. So I have kind of a cool story about a Mustang. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> My old business partner from years and years and years ago, um, he, he just he's like one of those people that just knows a bunch of people. He knows he's like a networking person, so mm-hmm. he knows everybody and will just kind of work himself into different social groups and all of a sudden he's friends with all the motorcycle guys and then all of a sudden he's like friends with all the car people and you know whatever so he was constantly meeting new people and being around all these new interests and stuff and he would pick up something and be interested in for a while anyway one day he shows up in a 67 fastback Hmm. that's in like immaculate condition on the outside every body panel it's it's unpainted, like it had been primed, so it was ready for paint. Mm-hmm. And you go on the inside of it, and there's nothing in it, <laughs> like two seats. <laughs> that was it. Um, and he had found somehow found this guy who had started restoring it. He, you know, ripped everything out, um, did the body work, got it prepped, um, got like redid the engine, and it was all pretty. It just needed new motor mounts because they were kind of cracked, but it was in great shape. It was just unfinished. And I think he got it from the guy for just like, I don't remember exactly, but I remember it being like $10,000 or something. Whoa. Yeah. And so he had this thing forever and was always going to finish it. And I don't know if he still has it or not. I don't think he does. But um, at that point when we were starting the business together, I didn't have a car. So he would pick me up all the time in this Mustang and we'd ride to work together and stuff. And... <clears throat> one day in downtown Savannah, some woman just like wasn't paying attention and pulled out into traffic, hit the front quarter panel, Ooh. and just demolished one corner of the car. <laughs> and I don't know if he got rid of it at that point or if he... I know he didn't get rid, of it, get rid of it then. I don't know if he ever got rid of it or if he ended up keeping it and fixing it up. But it was an awesome car, and he got like such a good deal on it. I was bummed. But it always, after riding around in it for a long time, made me want one of those. Whereas before that, I was like, eh, Mustangs are, I don't know, cool. They're cars. Yeah. You know, just Mustang. But that one was pretty awesome. A girl I knew in high school had a 68. Like a beautiful car that, I mean, was restored, looked pretty much like mint. And this 16-year-old girl had it. Not, I mean, that's spoken from a place of jealousy. <laughs> As I'm sure many of the people in town were super jealous of this girl in her car. Yeah. So if you could get any, not new like supercar, but if you could get any old car, what would it be? Mm. 
just like money's no object, you know. You just could mm. pick one out of Jay Leno's garage. I always had a thing for Camaros, and I don't know why. I think I had a Camaro model as a kid. Mm -hmm. But, oh, no. False. Hold on. <laughs> I don't know why I, I forgot that. When I was a kid, we'd go to the mall, and they had a fountain in the mall. You mm -hmm. throw a penny in the fountain. Mm -hmm. I always wished for a red Corvette. Hmm. And I wanted, like, a red Stingray Corvette. Not like a 57, like, that, that Viper-looking Cobra-looking like Corvette. Like the 80s? The 70s. Stingrays. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, gotcha. late 70s-ish. I always wanted one. Convertible. Hmm. Interesting. Like, as a child, that's what I wanted. And my first car was a, a Plymouth Laser. An 89, or a Chrysler Laser? Chrysler Laser Turbo. And it was red and had T-tops. So I was like, it's kind of... <laughs> it's, it's a red, basically a Corvette. kind of car. It's fast. <laughs> but when we lived in Alabama, when I got out of the Army... One of the used car lots in town had, I think it was like a 78 or 77 red Corvette. It was for sale. Mm. And I don't know how much it was, but we didn't have any more debt. I'm like, I want to buy that car. <laughs> we had one kid at the time, and it was just going to be a thing. Like, I, I want this thing, so I'm going to go try to buy it. And I went, and the guy walked out. I'm like, I would like to take this car for a test drive. And he's like, well... Uh, none of the doors work. He's like, so you got to jimmy this thing. And so he had to like pry open the passenger side door uh, and then had to climb through and open the driver's side door. I'm like, ugh. I'm like, well, okay, you know, you know, whatever. It's got some flaws. Yeah. And then I got in and I shut the door and the window like fell down a good inch or two. I was like, well, okay. And I tried to roll it up. He's like, oh, that thing doesn't work. It needs a new track. I'm like, well, you know, okay, let's work past that. It's a nice warm day. And I tried to put the seatbelt on, and the seatbelt kept locking. And so you couldn't put the seatbelt. It didn't, it didn't go past, like, the shoulder it initially crosses. Mm. I was like, well, crap. And it's it's like a fighter jet. Like, it's super small and tight in a sportsiest sports car that you yeah. could possibly have. Yeah, tiny. So I'm, I'm in this thing. Oh, I kicked the mic. I'm sorry. I'm in this thing, and I'm like, okay, let's do it. And I go to start it, and it didn't start. <laughs> and he's like, oh, well, the battery's probably dead. This is like every single thing about mm -hmm. that car did not work. Mm -hmm. I'm like, does it have air conditioning? Because I'm in southern Alabama. He's like, no, it ain't got no AC. I'm like, like okay. <laughs> and then I had to wait, and he was like, he was recharging the battery, and there was something else that was leaking. And at that point, I'm like, you know what? Like, I'm going to cut my losses. Like, I'm this this is not happening. Yeah, It's one of those, like, don't meet your heroes kind of things. Like, <laughs> I'm just going to let this car be an idol in my head that... Is amazing, but is amazing for all non-practical reasons, yeah. like driving yeah. comfortably or <laughs> starting when you want it to. Yeah. I was like, yeah, let's just let's just not. So thanks, but no thanks. So I was very glad that that car was a piece of garbage, hmm. or I probably would have driven it home and showed my wife, and she probably would have not been happy with me. But I would have had a dope ride. Yeah, that looked nice from the outside. Have you seen the yellow one that's around town here? That's at the dealership. No. There is a, I don't know the year, but it's probably late 50s, early 60s, uh, yellow um, convertible, and it is beautiful. Hmm. And it's at the dealership, one of the dealerships here, and it sits like in the window. I don't know if they've sold it or not, but I, I happened to see it in that window one time. And I think one of the, because the reason I saw it, one time I went to lunch and this car passes me by and I look over and there's this kid driving it. Easily like, I can say kid because I'm old. <laughs> 
easily like 20, 21, driving this car. And I'm like, there's no way a person of that age has the money to afford that car. Or is responsible enough to drive that mm-hmm. car. And then, later on that day, when I drove past this dealership, I saw it in the big showroom window and him, like, walking around inside. So he was just like, hey, guys, I'll go get lunch. Let me take the Corvette, you know, mm. and took it off. That's a pretty smart move, kid. Like, yeah. Good for him. He's right. smarter than I thought he was. I applaud your tenacity. But it is, uh, yeah, we should go see if it's still there sometime because it's pretty. I probably won't buy it. <laughs> and you know better, so. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I am quite susceptible to peer pressure. Hmm. So, so if, if someone I, went with me, they would. If that was not level-headed, not a good influence. I, I, I would be in trouble. Hmm. Because one of my the, the car that I really wanted to buy that was still not practical, but in my mind a little more tipped that way was a, an Audi A5, which is again a two-seater sports car. Yeah, how's that kind of more practical? Uh, it's newer. <laughs> okay. Therefore, Fair enough. more reliable, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Better on gas. I don't know. But still, and it's it's been this thing that like Tiffany knows that I really want one of these cars one day, but we've got three tiny kids, yeah. and it's it'd be stupid. But one thing that you, you mentioned earlier that I wanted to talk about before, along the lines of being impractical and stupid modes of transportation, motorcycles. Oh gosh, I want to talk about motorcycles. Okay, Let's talk about motorcycles because I have always kind of wanted a motorcycle. It seems less on the spectrum of impractical, stupid transportation and more along the lines of fuel-efficient, seasonal, whimsical transportation, which I don't know if gains points in the response. Oh, I think it's my Lego piece. It was in my space. <laughs> uh, but you have driven motorcycles or, mm-hmm. or bikes. So I'm, I'm interested in that whole process because I don't think I'm legally allowed to. If you don't Maybe. have a license, then no. But I looked at it, and you could get a learner's permit mm-hmm. like you would get for a car, but for a motorcycle. Yeah, totally. Okay, so walk me through like your experience with motorcycles, and then more practically, like how do I become a motorcycler? So, uh, I mean, I, I've never really driven a motorcycle at, of any... I mean, I have, but not much. So I drove scooters, but depending on the size of the motor in the scooter in Mm -hmm. Georgia, you have to have a motorcycle license. Basically anything over 50 cc's. And so um, I ended up having to go through that, you know, take the tests and all that stuff. And yeah, you get a permit and I think you have it for a certain amount of time and then you go in and take a written test. I don't even think I had to do a driving test. It's just like a written test. Really? If I remember correctly. I mean, that was a long time ago and it could have changed. But it wasn't hard. (laughs) I know a lot of people who are not the sharpest tools in the shed that drive motorcycles, so pretty sure you can handle it. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> but I will say um, that I don't drive a motorcycle because I laid my scooter down several times, and it's terrifying. And that's at relatively low speed. And what do so, you mean by that, laying it down? So um, I got this 62 Vespa okay. from Italy. Um, completely stripped it down. And this was like, oh gosh, I don't know, 14, 15 years ago. Completely ripped the thing apart, not having any clue what I'm doing. Uh, rebuilt a whole bunch of stuff on it. Painted it, did body work for the first time. All this stuff. Built up this scooter, and it was really nice. Not perfect, but really nice. And so I took it out. I got it 
to a point where it was drivable. I took it out for the first time on lunch break one time. Came home from work, did a little bit of work on it. I got about a block and a half from my house, and the guy that I'd sent off the brakes, because I, I couldn't do the brake work, so I sent off these brakes. He changed out the pads and did some other stuff to him. Sent them back, I installed them. He did something wrong. Mm. So I'm driving down the road at, you know, like those Vespas will top out at 25 or something. Okay. So it's not super fast, but you're also really exposed. You're sitting, you know, with your legs together inside this kind of little thing. So I'm going along, and the back wheel just locked. Hmm. So at 25 mile an hour, all the weight is underneath you in the back, and that just locked up and skidded out to the side. And so I kind of sidestepped out of it, so I didn't really go down with it. I went down, but not on the bike. And... All the paint that I'd spent the time working on got trashed on one side and stuff like that. And there was a car right behind me. Ooh. So that was scary. And then fast forward another year. So was this two years? Had maybe. you driven a motorcycle before that? Um, I had gotten my license on that scooter before I tore it apart. Okay, so it had a big enough engine that required a license. Yeah. Okay. And did you go to like the motorcycle safety course thing like on that scooter or did you use the motorcycles that usually... No, I didn't have to. I don't think I ever had to do a driving test. Oh, okay. If I remember correctly, it was a long time ago. Um, but I mean, if I did, I would have taken it on that scooter and that would have been fine because that's well, why I was getting the license. You mentioned tests. Like most places you go do, it's not a test, it's like a, a block of learning Yeah. on their particular, like their legit like motorcycle motorcycles. And then you take that thing with your learner's permit or whatever, and then you go with take the test and then you get it. it. It was confusing. Yeah, I don't really remember, but I don't remember taking, if I did any kind of a driving thing, it would have been in the parking lot there on the scooter, which would have been super easy. So mm. I don't know that it's one for one to a motorcycle. Right. That's, you know, maybe not Because I've driven thing. a Vespa a couple times. When, when we lived in Belgium, one of the guys I worked with had one. Dumping a bag. And I, I mean, I thought it was neat. It was, it was way easier to get around and way more economical than my V8 Jeep. Yeah. I could throw on my helicopter flight helmet and tear down the road on this Vespa and just go to the store or go to the, you know, other little buildings I need to go to and then kind of come right back. Did you ever wreck? No. Okay. So I'm not saying that to scare you out of it, but that was the point where I felt so exposed that I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. Not that wreck. That wreck was terrifying. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, well, I know what the problem was. I'll fix it. Whatever. Right. So a couple of years later, after I'd ridden Did you this... can trace that back to like mechanical failure. That wasn't yeah. a fault of your own. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, so was the second one. And oh. it was a fault of my own mechanically. So I was... There was a scooter rally in town. A bunch of people were bringing in their scooters. We were all going to meet up downtown. And so the night before, I was like trying to fix something... And I took off the back wheel. <clears throat> this guy came over that I didn't know. We were talking scooters. I was putting this whole thing back together, and I forgot to put in a cotter pin. Ooh. So the next day, I'm going down to this rally, going down the road, uh, top speed, and all of a sudden the back wheel locks up again, differently than it had before. But basically what happened, the wheel uh, moved to the left, and the whole bike fell onto the wheel. So oh. I'm going along, it starts to wobble a little bit. The back end drops down about six inches. And 
I, <laughs> I spread my legs on each side of the scooter, put them on the ground, and just stepped off, and it went straight forward. Like and, in a cartoon? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Because, uh, I mean, they're low enough, and the back had dropped down, so it was lower than normal. And so I just kind of, like, hopped off the back of it, and it went forward and fell and slid, and there was a car right behind me that almost hit me standing in the middle of the road, and that's when I was like, this is stupid. There's, I have a perfectly good car. <laughs> like, mm. but there's no reason to put my my own well-being in the hands of like my mechanical knowledge, which is not that great. Hmm. So I should have, I don't know, I either should have let somebody else do that work or I should have just spent more time thinking about, you know, the transition. I should have maybe tested on my local road more than going out on the main road. I don't know. But that's when I was like, this is too dangerous on a scooter. So there's no way I would ride a motorcycle. Aha. Uh-huh. Okay. See what I mean? Yes. So, I have another really stupid story. Well, hang on. Okay. The other thing, though, about that is my friend who had the Mustang, yep. he rode motorcycles all the time. He laid them down all the time. And he was so used to it, he wasn't scared of it. You know, I mean, people <laughs> who... <laughs> well, I mean, not all the time. But he wow. he had laid it down several times because he raced on a track. Yeah. So, you're bound to lay it down at some point. Um, but he had been through that enough that it wasn't scary to him anymore. He knew he would walk away... He knew it'd probably be fine because he was mostly on a track, so it was, it's a little different. So I'm just saying that was my experience, that I didn't think what I was going to get out of riding was worth the gotcha. danger. But that was me, not So you, I mean, while you were doing it, <clears throat> I assume that you, you rode it other than those two Oh, yeah, instances. I used to ride every day. Was it liberating and kind of like that stereotype that it's like, oh, it's free and you feel the wind in your hair? I mean, it's fun, but you also feel really exposed in traffic. Yeah. You know, because you have these giant hunks of metal that you, I mean, you are not big enough to stop them. Oh, and they don't consider you. Not really, no. Right. Um, plus, the roads in Savannah were pretty rough, and so it wasn't terribly comfortable. It wasn't like a modern motorcycle with great suspension. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like an old, pretty rigid, the only suspensions on the back end. Well, there might have been some on the front end, but not much. Um, I don't know. I always felt really exposed. When I was on the road by myself... It was a lot of fun, but not something I wanted to keep going on, especially once I had kids. But. So I had a lot of friends in the Army that had motorcycles, and just like most things for younger soldiers, they were quite irresponsible on them. Um, uh, at one point, we had three guys that used to ride these like sport bikes, and all three of them laid their bike out in like, loose gravel in a turn within the same week. Going really fast. And so they all had like the mummy wrapping. Like both of their arms were completely wrapped up because they had road rash everywhere. And so a, a part of me was like, man, that's so dumb. Like it seemed super irresponsible. Yeah. But that came from a place of ignorance. Like I'd never wanted or I'd never done it. And looking at someone else's terrible, you know, dealings it could be a cautionary tale or it could be like, oh, well, I think possibly ignorantly that like I would be magically more responsible but then like you're saying there's other cars and there's other stuff on the road that yeah. you can't control but like from my house to your house it's like I don't know on the road maybe four or five miles six mm-hmm. miles maybe I was like I can get a motorcycle and just like do that route back and forth when the weather's nice yeah but so my mom was a very religious lady and for some reason she went to a psychic one time which I think is, is super dumb 
I don't believe uh, in, and I don't believe in psychics or that kind of mysticism like at all. But she came back and she didn't believe it either. And I don't even know why she went. I think she went with a friend. But she came back and I was like, "Oh, so how'd it go?" And she's like, "Well, she told me that I had two sons." I'm like, "Yeah, well, there, there's weird little tricks. I'm pretty sure you said more than you should have said because she's a talker." And um, she's like, "Well, she told me that one of them would die in a motorcycle wreck." I'm like, "Oh, well, that sucks. I hope it's not me." And it just kind of went on. Mm-hmm. And again, I know it's fake. I know it's just some person randomly saying that she could have said, "I I got hit by, you know, a bus." Or heart disease or yeah. whatever. But I've always been like, I don't want to prove that lady right. Hmm. And my brother rides a motorcycle. He's in the Navy. He's got a motorcycle and a truck and the whole thing. And I don't know if he's ever wrecked. But part of me is like, I kind of want to do that. I'm like, but then I I have this stupid thing. Like, <laughs> I don't I don't believe it. Yeah. I don't want her to be accidentally right. Well, it's kind of weird in that, that case, too, because like... It's possible, that if that's on your mind still at this point, that that may affect how you act when you're on the bike. Because it's one of those things like if you're overly cautious, you actually may cause yourself more trouble. Right. You know what I mean? I get that. So if you're more aware of it, then you could end up, it could be like a self-fulfilling prophecy. True. You, know, you wouldn't want that. I'm just like screaming at people that are too close to me. Get back off! And then you just don't pay attention, and you hit, like, a rabbit or something. Oh, man. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, you know, I'm sure you'd have fun. And I guess one difference between, like, the scooter and a motorcycle is that the scooter, you don't have power to get out of the way if you need to. Hmm. You know, because they just don't have any get up and go. I mean, a decently sized motorcycle, if you need to move out of the way, you can. Well, I've been seeing on YouTube that there are these, like, crate motorcycles from China that you can get. I don't remember how big the engine was. 150cc? Is that a thing? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what that compares to. Well, I mean, that's just kind of a... That number doesn't mean a whole lot by itself. Okay. Well, it was a really... The people that reviewed it, I forgot what it was called, but it came in a crate. It's not an electric bike, because those are pretty prevalent now, too, where you Mm -hmm. get electric bikes. And it looked like a, a cafe bike, cafe mm-hmm. style. Yeah. So it's really kind of low. It's got a flat seat, a little bobber kind of tank. Mm-hmm. And it could get up to, I think, 50 top speed. Because yeah. the guy that was test driving, the one video that I saw, was like on the highway. He was like, I don't want to be on the highway on this <laughs> thing anymore. <laughs> and so he's like, if you're getting around town, you got somewhere to go, you live in like the city. He's like, it's just kind of fun and zippy, you know. Don't expect to win any drag races or anything. He's like, this is a good bike. And it was only $2,000. Hmm. Wow. Like, delivered. Wow. Hmm. And so that was like... so. The, and that was another thing about motorcycles. You can find used motorcycles on Craigslist all day long. Mm-hmm. But I don't, I don't want to have a bike that can go super mega fast. Because I don't want to have to go super mega fast. Because I'm trying to learn from the people that I knew on bikes that were irresponsible in their mummy wrappings. Yeah. I was like, I just want something that is kind of fun that I can get from point A to point B. Uh, I don't know. I yeah. Can... I mean, and honestly, 50 miles an hour on a bike is pretty fast. Unless you are just used to doing, you know, 100 or something crazy. But yeah. And I think that they're speaking fast. to, like, to people that really like motorcycles. And I'm not. Yeah. I'm super nervous about it. It's something that I want to do and experience because it's something I've never done before. And I just love experiencing things mm-hmm. in life and I don't want there to be something like oh I've never done that and not have a reason why I haven't done it 
Do you think you can rent a motorcycle? You can. Uh, when we lived down in Florida, you could rent motorcycles, like not just like renting a scooter for like a, a trip in Europe. You could rent a motorcycle from the Harley Davidson place. But well, I don't know what credentials you had to provide to them. Well, no, I was wondering if you could just like rent it for the day. Like, so you could just take it out and drive it around, see if you liked being around town in it, you know? Yeah. Well, I've been looking up like this, um, the motorcycle safety courses that I think the state almost mandates, but I like that idea. That they teach you. Like, they have their own motorcycles, and so they teach you how oh, to ride. That's cool. Yeah. And that I want that. I don't want to go into something unprepared, like, at all, like, ever. But this is definitely something, like, I don't want to look up how to turn a motorcycle on the internet. <laughs> which you can do. And you can do enough to pass the test, because I've taken the practice tests. Oh. And I can kind of logic my way through it, but that doesn't really make you a, make you good at anything. Yeah. Huh. But I've looked it up in the one place. There's a couple up in Louisville, and um, I wrote the one a message because it didn't have published information, and they haven't written me back. So I want to give somebody money to teach me how to ride a motorcycle. <laughs> That's cool. Because I'm part of the cool kids. Only, only the cool kids motor, have motorcycles. Motorbikes. But you have the Vespa. You have a Vespa upstairs mm-hmm. in your garage. So is that just like something you're going to plan on selling because of your bad experiences? Or I mean, yeah, I've kind of been meaning to sell it for years, uh, but it doesn't run because it's set for so long that mm. there's something bad in it. <clears throat> it ran fine before that, so I think it's just a matter of like tracking down what the the thing is. Um, and I'm pretty sure it's compression because I checked the other two. Check spark and check fuel and compression's the only other thing in a two-stroke. So um, I just need to like get it down here and and work on it. I mean, it'd be really cool to actually because it's been so long since I worked on it and I've learned so much about just using tools and stuff. It'd be cool to to strip it down again hmm. and do it better. But then I would want to turn around and sell it. So it feels. But at the same time, if I don't do that, I won't be able to sell it for very much. Right. So I'd either rather like to find somebody who wanted to redo it the right way or do that myself with the intention of selling it. Well, how expensive is it? What? Like the bike? To, well, I, I know I know people that are in like Vespa clubs and things. Like is it the barrier to entry to like fixing up your own Vespa? I mean, is it comparable to a car where, I mean, a part that you would need is like a couple, you know, $100 or so? Or is it because it's smaller and because it's less complex that it is cheaper to get into? Yeah, it's definitely cheaper to get into. But the hard thing is, like, if you're going to work on an old scooter like that, you're probably going to want original parts. And those are harder to come by. So the price of the parts goes up a little bit, even though what the part is actually doing, like what it physically is, is not that expensive, you know? Any kind of new old stock that you want to get is... Is pretty expensive. So I do have a motorcycle as well up in the shop there. And it's a Harley Hummer. <clears throat> and it's a two-stroke. It kind of looks like a dirt track racer. It's like a mm-hmm. real low kind of small bike. And it looks kind of like a mountain bike frame with a motor in it. It, it reminds me of this. The Army used to have these paratrooper motorcycles hmm. that they would jump out of airplanes with back in World War II. And it kind of reminds me of one of those. Yeah, yeah, it's probably pretty similar. It was a German bike that when the Allies took over, they split up all the manufacturing rights and stuff. And so Harley took over that design, and I think another company got it as well. 
but they turned it into their, as far as I know, it was the only two-stroke that Harley ever sold. Hmm. Um, but I've got the majority of the stuff for that bike, but I ran into where I couldn't find certain pieces, like certain necessary pieces, so I could never get it running. Um, but that's another thing. I don't really want to ride that bike, but it would be really cool to have rebuilt it from nothing. Just from, as an exercise? A, yeah. yeah. Just, and I mean, I may ride it around the neighborhood or something, but I just really don't have any desire to like go feel the wind in my hair, my beard. All right, so if I got a bike, you wouldn't go ride with me, and we can make our own cool club. Uh, I mean, like, I may ride locally. <laughs> I don't. I only want to ride locally. Yeah. Because I knew a lot of people, like a lot of teachers and their husbands and things that I've known throughout the years had motorcycles, and they would talk about, and the guys that I used to work with, were going these really long rides, just oh, yeah. like meandering about, and it was, they got together with other people and just like went for a ride. And I remember as a kid, like our family would do this, go get in the van and go for a ride. And I remember being just like super bored. <laughs> but I was a passenger yeah. inside of a van and not like, like you're saying, like feeling the breeze in your hair and being free and exploring America. Like I, I guess that that is part of the allure. I guess. I mean, I a motorcycle is about the least interesting way that I would want to do that personally. I get, I get why other people would like it, but it's mm. just not my... You know, it's not a thing that, like, I would be drawn to. Now, like, on a bike? Bicycle? Yeah. That'd be fun. It seems worse. Well. Well, I guess one's for exercise, and one is just for straight-up comfortable leisure. I mean, I don't know. I enjoy riding my bike. Maybe not, like, I think somebody stole my bike? Yeah. <laughs> stole off my front porch. That's a drag. Savages. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't go ride, like, 100 miles for fun or anything, but... It's fun just to ride around. There's motorcycle people that enjoy that kind of torture. Well, that's different because you're not actually like pedaling for a hundred miles. I mean, like, no, but still, like, yeah, that's got to be super uncomfortable. And they I call would. it like the there's like an iron butt. There's some name <laughs> for like if really? you could ride, yeah, some ridiculous <laughs> amount of mileage. Someone who's listening right now, like, get a hold of me and tell me the goofy name. The iron butt. Yeah, for like this. Terrible thing, this endurance challenge that people really, really get into. And it's like, I've ridden a bajillion miles on, on my motorcycle, and then you get like a patch. <laughs> From who? I don't know. Huh. Well, well, that doesn't sound very credible. You get a patch from the Hell's Angels. <laughs> <laughs> really? I don't know. <laughs> I don't think that's right. Cool. Well, you should go learn how to ride a motorcycle. Okay. Sounds like you would enjoy it. I guess for me, the whole thing is the I'm not I'm not typically a risk averse person, mm -hmm. but there's something about the risk of a motorcycle that I'm just not like I'm not against it. I'm just not interested in it. You know, it's a risk reward ratio. Yeah, it just doesn't it doesn't even out to mm -hmm. me. But I know a lot of people who like motorcycles, so good for them. This piece, uh, it looks like there's a like a step that's skipped, which is kind of weird. In the instructions? I mean... That's fun. It's not, I assume, but it just doesn't really make a lot of sense. So what was your first car? My first car was... Go back to cars. Oh, I see. I see, I see. Uh, my first car was that I owned... Oh. 
Yeah, it's because I forget pieces. That's why things don't make sense. Um, a Chevy Blazer. What year was it? It was, uh, I don't remember, 89? Is that right? My first car was an 89. It was the golden age. Bad cars. I'm actually not sure if it was an 89, but what was your first car? The Chrysler Laser. Oh, that's right. The only thing I was proud of in that car was like I'm gonna I'm gonna speak like I know things about cars. Um, when it had T-tops, which was cool, but I lived in the Panhandle of Florida and it didn't have air conditioning. Blech. Everything was black. Blech. It had T-tops with no covers, so it was just like you had windows on top of your car just to make your car hotter. And the all the seals would leak when it rained, and so you tried to turn on the defroster, and it just made it hotter. And so it was. You had to want to ride in this car, but it was fast. It had a turbo in it, and it was super fast. <laughs> and I remember when Tiff and I started dating, um, we were going to go out to some restaurant. And I'm like, I asked my mom, because she bought another car, the, the story previous. She didn't buy a Mustang. She bought like a Mercury Cougar or something. I don't remember. But I remember like, Mom, I need to borrow your car. She's like, why don't you take your car? I was like, because my car sucks. And she's not going to be my girlfriend if I ride her anywhere in this car, because <laughs> it's hot, and it's miserable, and it's disgusting. And it's going to rain, so mm. <laughs> which is worse. So can I please borrow your car? So I had to wash it and wax it. And it was going to be hot. And I was like, and your car has air conditioning so that people can be comfortable when they ride. And I remember I picked her up, and we were going down to the beach to go to some restaurant. And she's like, it's really cold in here. She's like, can you turn the air conditioning off? She's like, can you turn the heater on? I'm like, ugh. <laughs> Backfire. <laughs> and she's like, where's your car? Didn't they have T-tops on? I'm like, Yeah. I took this one. She was like, oh, okay, I guess, whatever. I was like, crap, this is totally messed up. And so, I only love you for your laser. Well, then the next time I picked her up, like, the door on the passenger side was all wonky. So, like, you had to take the handle and, like, push it in, then push the door down, and then it would pop open. There was It was a trick. Hmm. She got it first time. Nice. I was like, wow, this car likes you. It has accepted you. <laughs> and so, like, one of my, my favorite moments... Of our life together, as we were down by the beach and we had T-tops off, and she had like you're not supposed to. She had her feet like up on the dash or like out the window, mm. and there's the hair whipping in the breeze. So nice. I was like, thank you to this crappy car for let me have this one moment. <laughs> and then we were somewhere, and a, like a 5.0 Mustang pulled up beside us, and like revved his engine at me, and I'm like, oh boy. I'm gonna race somebody. And it was like on a road that had stoplights every couple hundred yards or whatever. And I totally beat that car. Really? I totally did. Wow. And then a week later, it, the transmission blew out. Because you raced that car. I'm, I'm guessing like <laughs> I asked I asked that 90-year-old man to do some sprints. And then he just promptly died. He's <laughs> like, sure thing, buddy. Yep. Just one time. That's all I had. <laughs> that car. And then when we were here and I was looking for another car, I like, I perused it. And I'm like, can I find that car again? Uh, and I could not. I couldn't find anything. You would want that without the AC? No. Yeah. Most of them, I think, I don't say most of them, I think it was a feature that mine just didn't have. Oh. Like, you could have it. Gotcha. It just didn't exist for me. My, uh, my Blazer, so when I got out of college, I didn't have a car until I got out of college, and um, so I was looking for something within a pretty tight budget, and this dude that worked in the office next to us Somehow we got to talking, and he was not a nice guy. I don't know why we were talking, but um, basically he was like, yeah, I've got this old Blazer. It's really cool. It's like four-wheel four drive, you know, 
I'll sell it to you for real cheap. So went over and looked at it, drove it around the neighborhood, drove fine. Like, cool. Got a car. You know, like I've always wanted kind of a SUV truck something. Mm-hmm. And so it was a pretty cool first car. And then about two months later, uh, it was having some problem with transmission or something. I don't remember what the deal was. And so I took it to this place and the guy was like asking me all the questions about how, you know, if stuff worked. And I was like, well, I haven't really had it that long. I don't know. But the guy told me that the, you know, four wheel drive worked and this and that worked and everything. So then they go to work on it. I come back to pick it up and he's like, you know, there's nothing in your transfer case, right? Ooh. I'm like, what? <laughs> he goes, yeah, this thing doesn't have four wheel drive. There's parts missing. <laughs> I'm like, man, come on. That dude totally, man. totally screwed me over. I don't know how. I guess maybe it just got messed up and they just took stuff out so that it wouldn't, you know, it could drive but wouldn't have four-wheel drive or what? That's I don't scary. know. It was frustrating. But I, it actually lasted me quite a while. Uh, I was dating a girl that lived in Macon, which was like two and a half hours, and I drove it up to see her all the time. I think it was pretty old. Um, but it was big enough in the back, like, I would sleep in it and stuff. Hmm. Oh, yeah, I could see that. I've slept in my Jeep many times. Yeah. It's pretty cool. One time when one of the hurricanes came through Savannah, uh, I wasn't going to uh, evacuate because our office was on, like, one of the two highest points in the city. So, like, yeah, it's like a 200-year-old brick building. Like, yeah, we're fine. And my girlfriend's mom at the time finally was like, you are going to leave that town right now. (laughs) Young man. Okay. So... I got on the road late, and everybody else in Savannah was already evacuating, so I had to sit. It took me ten and a half hours to get two and a half hours to get to Macon. So we're sitting in traffic. I'm sitting in traffic for this long time. I'm in one lane. I look over. The next lane's open. I'm like, oh, I can switch, you know, move forward a little bit instead of sitting still. And I went to turn the wheel, and it was just like... (laughs) And the power steering was gone. In traffic, and this is probably eight hours in. So it's gone, and I finally, after all this time, make it uh, to where my girlfriend lived and drove it right to a shop, and the power steering pump had just overheated and exploded underneath the car. So it was just gone, and then I was stuck in Macon because I didn't have enough money to pay for the repair for, like, a day or something. I don't remember why that had to stay. Somehow. Anyway. Um, But then... Like, I replaced that pump and drove it around for maybe another two or three months, and then it just died. It literally died. Mm-hmm. And so I traded it. Well, I guess it didn't die because I was able to trade it in. But hey, leased my first car. Oh, you leased? I leased because I didn't have any money to buy anything. How does that work? I've never leased a car. I mean, you're renting. You okay. put down a small down payment, and then you rent it for two years or whatever. Like a security deposit? No, it's kind of like the first month you're paying up front. I don't remember getting any money back, so I think. But it also goes, I guess it is kind of a security deposit because you have to have it in a certain condition when you turn it in. Mm. Uh, You know, and there's like a whole list of conditions. Like it can have this number of scratches on the outside and it can have this number of things on the interior and whatever. I wouldn't advise leasing, but it was a way for me to get a decent car to drive around. Yeah, when the laser died, uh, my parents helped me buy a truck. And so I had a little 90-something S10. Hmm. It had like... So mine, mine was an S10 Blazer. Ah. So it was the 
the same, longer. The same yeah. one, but bigger. Yeah. That truck had no power. It had no power anything in it. And I had it when I was in college, and I had it when I was in the Army, and we moved from Louisiana to Washington. So we had like a moving van. We had we did like a partial do-it-yourself, like all the whatever, a diddy move. So like we'd take, most of our house was in, a, the moving company would take, and then I could take what I wanted to, and then you weigh it, and they pay you for that. So mm. I had the truck like loaded down, because the more stuff you carried yourself, the more money they would give you. Mm. And so I have my truck, which is like packed to the brim, driving from Louisiana to Washington State. And I had to drive in like third gear most of the trip. I think I had no power going uphill. Mm. It was terrible. And so did I tell the story about how I, how I came to own the Jeep? Yeah. Oh, you told me. I don't know if you told it on here. Okay. So I was angry that I had this <laughs> truck that was like not powerful at all. I was around a bunch of soldiers who were just like had thrown around money and buying obnoxiously large and expensive cars for no reason. And I felt like I was owed one. <laughs> and I was getting promoted. <laughs> yeah. And I went to go buy like the biggest truck that I could find. And so I called Tiff. I was out with my friend. I'm like, hey, I'm going to buy this truck. And she's like, don't be dumb. Let me look at it. And so she gets there and points out like the mega obvious flaws that I was too blind to see just because I wanted a thing. Hmm. And I was all pouty and mad. And so she drove home and I was driving away and I went by this Jeep dealership. And there was a guy that I was in the army with that had a different job. And we interacted here and there, but I could not stand this guy. And he was a higher rank than me, so he could just tell me flat out what to do and just be in charge of me regardless of our like organizational structure. He outranked me, and he was, he was a butt. <laughs> Did not like him at all. And I saw him looking at this Jeep Grand Cherokee, and I was like, no way. I was like, maybe I can buy a Jeep Grand Cherokee. I'm like, I've always thought that they were kind of classy, but I think they're expensive. I'm like, I don't know, whatever, I got thrown around money. Which I didn't. <laughs> Absolutely didn't. <laughs> Um, Open another bag. I rationalized to myself that I had thrown around one. So I pulled into the lot. And he was looking at an older one. And the one that I currently own, which at the time was two years old, he was, the one he was looking at was like 10 years old. Mm. And so I go and I'm like looking in the mirror or in the windows. And that guy was like, what are you doing? I'm like, about to buy this baby. <laughs> He's like, I don't have the money to, to buy that because I was... I was super low enlisted, so he knew how much money I made, and it was not enough to afford that car straight up. <laughs> I'm like, you don't know nothing about me, fella. And then the, the guy comes waltzing out from inside the, the showroom, and <laughs> I'm like, I just whispered to the dude, I'm like, if you can get this that. thing under $300 a month, I will buy this right now. And the guy's like, absolutely, we sure can. He's like, come on in. I'm like, yeah, that's right. So I, I like, it's a 60-year loan. Yeah, I start strutting and like peacocking away from that guy. The guy's like, are you being dumb? And I'm like, yo, I'm like, have fun looking at your old jalopy there. I'm going to go in here and buy this super baller brand new car. Yeah, and then I get in. The guy's like, do you want to test drive it? I'm like, ah, I mean, I don't know. Is that what people <laughs> do? I don't know. Does it work? <laughs> like, I assume it just goes, right? And then I had to call my wife and she, She's like, and she thought that I was following her, <laughs> not that I peeled off oh. to buy a car out of spite. And she's like, where did you go? I'm like, oh, I'm kind of buying another one. And so she raced down there, like, as I'm signing the rest of the papers. And they're like, do you want a warranty? I'm like, sure do. She's like, don't sign that. And you're like, oh, it's breaking. Yeah, it's breaking up. All of, all of the terrible things. You want the undercoating? I'm like, how about two layers of that there undercoating? <laughs> do you have an extended, extended warranty? Because I think I'd like to buy that too. 
And it was <laughs> is that guy gonna buy one? Yeah, yeah, I'll take two of them. It was ridiculous. Like I got the car, and he, that dude was just like still looking. So not that he was staring at this car for some crazy amount of time. The turnover for me getting out of my truck to having a key in my hand and getting into this Jeep was probably an hour. Oh wow! Dang. It was a land speed record. Yeah. I think I, I test drove it with my wife after I had already bought it. And you I'm know, like, it's nice, isn't it? <laughs> I bet that car salesman probably tells a story to this day. Like, this I don't idiot. know, man. It was having the worst day ever. And this dude just wanted to buy a car that he didn't test yep. drive. He paid twice the amount that it was worth. <laughs> I thought I got a good deal. And it, I mean, even when I became more fiscally responsible, like, eh, I, I still think I had a good deal. And that yeah. Jeep has lasted forever. Yeah. I have taken it up the sides of mountains. Like, I've gone through rivers. I've gone to the valet. It has done literally everything I've ever asked it to do. And I drive it every day. Yeah. I love it. I've taken out a hundred year old like fence, this big fence in Belgium that we lived down the street from, this big wooden like timber thing with stones. There was some black ice and I spun around like ten times and slammed into this fence. The only damage the Jeep had was it had a little scratch from like some barbed wire. And I put it in four low and drove out of this muddy field and I just went home. <laughs> Sorry about your fence. Yeah, I got rear-ended by a lady in a Volkswagen Beetle one time and it demolished half of her car and there was like a scuff. Mm. And so I had to file an insurance claim because the police and everybody came and they gave me like 600 bucks to get it fixed. I was like, there's nothing wrong with this car. I'm like, this car is making me money. <laughs> Such a good investment. You just paid for that second layer of undercoating. Yeah. So it's an investment. That's funny. Do you have any other cars along Those the way or is that pretty much it? No, I've only had three cars. Oh, wow. My wife has had many. Hmm. She got, we bought a car while we were in Belgium from the like military car sales thing where you can buy a car tax-free, mm. which they say tax-free, but it's really tax-deferred because when you bring it back to the states to register it, most yeah, states yeah, make yeah. you pay that tax. Gotcha. That's how they get you. And we had been saving up to ship it back to the states whenever we were done with our tour there. And I was in Berlin or someplace, and Tiff called me frantic that someone had hit the car, and I thought it was like, oh, my God, she was in a car wreck with our newborn son. And she says, no, we were sleeping and some drunk Belgian lady like drove into it in front of our house. Whoa. And so it hit the car and then punched the car into the, the brick on the front of the house. Whoa. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. And <clears throat> it, I, I told the guy in French at the body shop, I'm like, you have to total this car because it was a month before we were going to ship it back. I'm like, I can't be delayed in this country waiting for a car, waiting for stuff. I'm like, total it and we'll deal with it. So they totaled it. They gave me the payout, which I already had equity in the car, which was more. And then they told me to come get my car. Like, I don't know the process here in the States, but yeah. when the laser died, it I called the insurance people it and it just, just like, yeah, it just went away. Huh. Well, there they're like, no, go get your car. Like, which makes more sense. To, to do honestly. what with it? Yeah. And they're like, I don't know. It's up to you. You can drive it if you want to. It wobbled pretty bad because the frame was bent. But I sold it to some, whatever, some company in Germany for like 5,000 euro. Huh. And I walked out and we bought a car when we got back to the States, uh, straight out cash. It was great. So you telling your story about the person hitting the house or hitting the car. Um, the girl that I was talking about that I dated, <clears throat> but in between cars, I guess it was before I got that lease actually, or maybe before I even got the other car. Anyway, I borrowed her car sometimes. I would go hang out at her house and then I would drive her car home and then come pick her up the next day and stuff. And... Um, so we lived in Midtown Savannah, which is not, it's not a bad area. Uh, 
it's just kind of like a neighborhood, you know, mm -hmm. there's a bunch of neighborhoods there. And so I would leave it parked on the street and I was never worried about it because I didn't leave anything in it and it was fine. So about two o'clock in the morning one night, I hear this like crazy crash sound and look out my window, which was facing the front of the, the front yard. I look out and there is her car, which was a, an Explorer, was up on the sidewalk. Ooh. There was another white car pressed into it and a police car right behind it. Like right behind it, pulling up. Hmm. And so I look up and I see all this and then another car, police car, came in from the other side. And this is all within 10 seconds of hearing the sound. Wow. And officers jump out of both cars and take off running towards my front door and then past my front door. And so then I, in, in my boxers, <laughs> run to the front door and I'm peeking out the front door to make sure that there's nobody like at my door. By the time I got to the front door, there were three more police cars on the street and officers all over the place. So I opened the door, like, well, I think I put pants on. But then I walked That's out good. the door and turns out they had been following this guy. This guy like stole the car and was running through the neighborhood area and they had people trying to box him in from all these different areas. And he came down one street and took a really wide turn, bounced off the opposite curb from our house and then into her car. Mm. and hit the driver's side, like the front wheel, pushed it up onto the sidewalk, and they had these big, tall sidewalks, these big gutters, broke the axle in half, Whoa. flattened one wheel out. Nice. I'm pretty sure it totaled her car. But I, So I saw this guy run out of the car, but I didn't, I didn't see anything about him. And so anyway, there were like a bunch of police there. They eventually chased him down in a neighbor's yard brought him back and asked me to ID him and I'm like dude I don't know <laughs> there was I was asleep and then there were police and there was a crash and it was crazy but I never heard anything else about him or that whole situation it was just like 30 minutes later everybody was gone and I was sitting there with her busted car and I had to call her parents <laughs> at three o'clock in the morning and be like ah uh, this is really crazy but so what happened was yeah so I didn't borrow her car anymore. That's that. probably smart. Yeah. Hmm. It was pretty crazy. Um, what are we? We're like uh, 55 in? Yeah. You, you want to wrap it up? Sure. I've, I've gone through three bags. I have not finished bag two. This is very... I talked the last time about like the, the new pieces being outlined in red. Mm -hmm. And I'm kind of taking that for granted because I'm not looking at them. And I'm kind of messing some things up. Yeah. I think... Those sets are difficult enough that they're outlined for a reason. Mm. There's a lot on that page. But. Mm. All right, cool. Well, um, where can people find you? On Instagram at the PI Workshop and on Twitter at Josh Make Stuff. And you can find both of us at I Like to Make Stuff on all the stuff. And we have some pretty fun projects coming up in the oh, next yeah. few weeks. So Funner than a uh, soap dispenser that shoots? Well, Boogers on it? That's pretty fun, too. That's pretty fun. Yeah, that was pretty good. Oh, and if you're going to be at the Midwest Rip Rap Festival this weekend, Rip Rap, I'm going. Bob's not going, but I'm going. Come say hey and will hang this, out. Will this be out after that? Yeah, it'll be out after that. So, so if hopefully, you if him. you were at the Midwest Rip Rap Festival, <laughs> hopefully you had a good time. It was nice to meet you. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> All right, we'll see you guys next week. Bye bye.